0: Hey, guess what? Okay. It's episode number...
1: 40. 40.
0: 40 of 80. The big 4-0. So it's a week of anniversaries because uh, Monday is my 21-year anniversary at Microsoft. Congratulations. And I am not... To celebrate, I am going to Vegas. And... We talked about this last time. Oh,
1: you're not God. a gambler. Oh. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Brent. Ah, oh, here goes the tequila. We don't have tequila, so we'll do coffee shots. When Brent says, <laughs> "We talked about this before." All right. So, so you're um, not a gambler. So what's happening in Vegas? I'm going to vesting. I'm going to what? If Vegas? Going to Vegas to talk about A/B testing, not the podcast, the actual experiment experimentation.
1: That's yes. right. That's the conference this weekend.
0: Well, it's Monday. My workshop's Monday. I'm flying down Sunday. Give my a workshop Monday. Flying back Tuesday. Uh, That was it that I could announce last week, but those that kind of uh, follow the conference world on on Twitter, holy cow, it's going to be a fun day of Alan not being able to talk. Every day for uh, AB testing recording, I bring in two cups of coffee for me to drink throughout the episode, and neither one have been started yet, and that's... I think it's a problem right now.
1: You, you, you uh, rode your bike today, I guess? I did. Yeah, so you weren't, you weren't uh, pre-caffeinating on the way
0: in then? It is really hard to drink a cup of coffee on a motorcycle. First of all, balancing <laughs> on the gas tank, pain in the butt, and then getting, getting the cup in your helmet without pouring coffee all over your chin, really difficult. What about like one of those football beer helmets? That is an idea that I feel just dumb for not trying. <laughs> I will be in the city of brotherly love in November, Philadelphia.
1: Philly! For Test Bash. Oh, are you going to be bashing Test? I'm going to be talking <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sweet! <laughs> I- I'm the one giving a talk about... Um, I think I titled my talk... You know, I'm, I'm kind of... I mentioned this... <laughs> Perhaps before. <laughs> uh, but I have...
1: Oh, no, no. Drink. <laughs>
0: I uh, am evolving this talk around my experiences uh, with mm. being the guy, the test and quality guy on a team with no testers and talking to other people with the same experiences and, and learning what works and doesn't work and watching, watching more failures with the move than I see success so I'm talking about testing without testers and other stupid things or something like that. I think we learn well from mistakes. We can watch what others have you done wrong. You only and learn, learn from, from mistakes. Oh, so-and-so teams tried that and they failed, so it's a dumb idea. I've seen that for, well, 21 years now. <laughs> 20, at probably, Microsoft. At Microsoft. <laughs> so I think it's important to understand how, how and why these and when and where they work, so you can figure out if they work in your context. So I'm giving that talk, and it's, I don't like giving the same talk, so I've been evolving this talk. I can say this, I think by the time I go to Test Bash, this product that I'm working on will be publicly available, or should be, or damn well should be. <laughs> uh, so it'll be interesting to talk about on that. When's Win, so Test ta- Bash? Talking again? about a real thing in November.
1: November. Okay.
0: So I'm pretty pretty stoked about that. Appreciate the invitation. So conferences. We're looking at our at our at our burn down list here on the board. So we'll dive right into the I forget what the section is called again. Um uh, uh, oh. uh, uh, <laughs> so Danny Fott, Software Alchemist, asked if we knew had any more information on the uh, what was going on at Yahoo. And I Did don't Did you say software optimist? Software alchemist. Oh, okay. Who A software optimist is nobody in testing.
1: It it really should be nobody <laughs> in testing. <laughs> so
0: I, I haven't heard anything. The one person, I used to have some good connections in Yahoo, and they've all left the company. And Wow, they're all testers. That's weird.
1: My connections to Yahoo are, God, about eight years old.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. I use uh, a news clip of the yahoo you know getting rid of the safety net makes us better developers article uh, that came out when they made this change Uh, but again that's press and it's hard to tell there could be a lot more going on under the scenes or there may not be it's it's hard to tell
1: but yahoo is 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 getting a lot of pr on this but they're far from the First big company to, to go down this path.
0: Oh, I know, but there was. I think he brought it up because this this is the one that got that got media attention about it.
1: Yeah, Facebook has been doing this uh, yeah. same sort of thing and for years. Facebook
0: ish. The thing to remember, and this is something important when you think about unified engineering, combined engineering, or no testers, whatever you want to call it, is that unified engineering. The story I bring up is when I went to the Google Test Automation Conference in Kirkland. It's been two years, maybe three years ago now. I can't remember. I'm old. I think it's three. Three ish. Uh, the guy from Facebook giving a talk comes up, his swaggers up there. I work at F- Facebook, and we don't have testers at Facebook. Like trying to get like a rise, like you know, like these are test automators. So, so. I'm the engineering lead for a software reliability team.
1: My <laughs> eyes roll. And I go, dude,
0: what? Ever, We don't have testers. We have <clears throat> software explorers and evaluators. Right.
1: <laughs> we don't have testers. We have, we have...
0: analysts. It's like <laughs> – the, And the point is – Quality analysts. That the three know that the work gets done or the work should get done. The way you fail at this is you stop doing testing. But the, acti- the activities still need to occur. And what happens in a good unified engineering team is that they occur in a more optimized manner than they typically do on a waterfall or a staged or, or a separated team. Yeah, so anyway, I, don't, I have no insights, nothing to really talk about there, but question acknowledged: thank you. Who's pee? Patrick? Oh, Prill. Test Pappy. <laughs> I only know people by their Twitter and slack handles.:
1: Yes. But I think it, it probably is not too cool for us to continue to call him PP on the podcast.
0: Patrick asks, <laughs> how does Microsoft grow and recruit into quality-oriented roles? Damn good question. Yes. I'm going to let you start because I have to think about my answer. We, the, the prep was low for this episode.
1: <clears throat> I think this one's all about you, honestly, because uh, when Patrick is, is asking around... Quality-oriented roles. <clears throat> like what Alan does? I'm thinking it's... There's, there's two versions of this in my mind. Number one, what Alan does. Number two, what Windows does. Oh. <laughs> and between the two of us, there's only one
0: of us that has a, an opinion on this. <laughs> okay. All right. I, while you were talking, um, I had a chance to uh, form some thoughts on this. So it's interesting we should probably give some background. Yep. Because it's very recent. Microsoft has had a lot of estets, testers, software, design, engineers, and tests. Uh, when we made this move, I can't say we kept them all, but people moved into roles. So the development roles, some of them, and some of them did very well, some not. People that were good test developers, they're pretty good developers. Uh,
1: the, the thing I have discovered is that people who were good test developers for the most part, are making themselves very well known as better developers.
0: My experience as well. You know, Windows, they just decided to not have a test team, but to have a quality team. And they focus on uh, telemetry, data science, uh, really business intelligence, and uh, some of the illities.
1: Yeah, the the fact that you said business intelligence and data science, I find nearly offensive. Yeah. <laughs> I in in that that's what they're focusing on. I may
0: I, I may poke a little bit. So yeah. that happened so just for background kind of where everybody went. So when I came to this role on my team, they wanted a, they wanted someone to think about this quality role. Not think about the think about quality and be in a role to think about quality and make sure all the activities were being done. I mentioned a minute ago, that doesn't require a drink. I mentioned a minute ago that on a unified engineering team, all the activities, the quality and testing activities still get done. And they wanted someone who actually knew what those were so they could get done. And that's what that's my role on the team. So how do we grow and recruit those people? I don't know that we do. Not every team at Microsoft has Uh, someone like me. Uh, Some do, most don't. One of the goals for me on this team was to show after this product ships and assuming it's massively successful, I'd like to show this is how a unified, this is the example, the template for how a unified engineering team works. You have some, you have some specialty around quality and this is where this is the role that people who really kind of get that systems thinking of testing and quality and can see across the product can have a place to fit in a unified engineering team. Uh, how do you recruit those roles? NFI. One thing it's actually a little bit it's different these days when you're recruiting from universities even external. It was uh, difficult, not not like hard, but difficult, more difficult to recruit for test roles than it was SDET roles, than it was for uh, SDE roles. And the difference being mil- mainly the industry stigma around the test role. I think at Microsoft, most people got here, they go, oh, wow, this is not banging on buttons. So, uh, But yep. it was hard to get over that hump. Now, since we recruit just for SDEs, but we make sure that they have some aptitude, good aptitude for testing and quality, um, recruiting is actually a little bit easier. But how do we find those people who are, going to grow into quality roles, I, I don't think you know when you recruit them.
1: So a couple thoughts as, as you were talking. Number one, so we have an, uh, probably a more relevant expert on the Slack channel than us on that particular question with respect to uh, Steve Rowe, who is in a, a quality team Uh, within windows so i'll I'll definitely publicly invite steve to to address that question within the slack channel everybody who isn't on the slack channel uh, of course you can still
0: no i'll say two things let's do this let's do episode 40 uh one i think steve's quality team is better than most, of, or most or most are all the other quality teams as far as what they actually they have embraced it and figured it out from the beginning. Yeah, um, But also, I'll go out on a limb here without consulting with Brent and say we should maybe have use that little input right there I'm pointing at on our new mixer and um, we could have Steve come in and talk about this himself. I, in fact, that would be a good topic to have. We could talk to Steve about what is the quality role in Windows? And how does that differ from like what I do here because I don't really have I can't really speak for him the one of the things that
1: we just talked about I liked your 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 loophole here is the 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 Google test bash and the the essentially all Google did is there's still testers they renamed is is the accusation and i do i will state that at a still a far
0: too big I think you're confusing the listeners. We're talking about Facebook and the software reliability. No, you yeah. talked
1: about a – oh, right, right. Facebook claimed we have no testers at the Google Bash. Yes. Yeah,
0: at the Google uh, Test Automation Conference. Uh, right. Test Bash is the thing I'm going to – please – I've had coffee now. Obviously, you have not because you're getting your words all confused. Okay. Thank you for adding clarification. So one
1: one accusation could be, isn't Microsoft just doing the same thing? And I think the the correct answer is, in a large degree, yes.
0: I think anytime you as d- to briefly any anytime you say Microsoft does blah or Microsoft, its, it's answer is wrong or right or both because the company's too damn big.
1: Ooh, new fallacy
0: lesson. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: the uh, my my point is is. Um, even though Alan and I have speak to a particular uh direction and push for what quality means and should mean, um, even large chunks of Microsoft isn't isn't fully uh, aboard on this, and I'm aware of of one team that had moved to a unified engineering model, and now they're they're blatantly moving back. and I think they're going to um, pay the price for that. From, from a productivity standpoint, not a political standpoint. But you brought up Steve and quality roles. Like the one thing that I do very much like about how Steve's team's been rolling is they're very deeply focused on the topic of quality and recognize that it is not a synonym for testing, whereas a lot of places it, it is. So I, I like your suggestion. Um, in terms of recruit and grow, like if I were thinking through, and there are many places where I, I um, could see at the company and even in my organization where we could use uh, someone like Alan, the, the real challenge is, unlike in uh, when we were recruiting for Estet roles, there is no way in bloody hell I would ever recruit someone for this role, say from campus. This is someone that you would want a crapload of experience
0: underneath their belt. Um, so this is this is yeah. I I think the way you do it is like right now I have a, a very small team, and there's one of the guys on the team who I could see doing what I do. Uh are growing into that role. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way you grow them. And then there are... I mentioned on my team, there are a lot of developers and some of them, many of them, are really good testers too. And some of them, as they grow in their career, they'll sort of figure out that how the pieces fit together and look at them with experience. They'll get all these quality issues. I think the person you put in this role... M- not necessarily a direct testing background, but I think the thing that helps me in my role is the fact that I've been doing this for frickin' ever.
1: Yeah, there's a high degree of experience required. And I think, I think the recruiting model for this role, even, even though um, – so Alan uh, a couple of years ago uh, – or no, it was just this year – sent me a message saying, hey, I'm looking for another person like me. Who do you know? and, that was, and, Brent, really and failed, that was a really hard question that was a really hard question because the it's it is very similar to today saying hey I need a deep performance expert I need a deep security expert and I think that's where the where your role is today it, it's Someone needs a deep quality expert, but quality as a as a system function, not as a necessarily a super tester. I think we'll see as as time marches on that we'll see a few more people in uh, in roles similar to Allen's, but we will then, in fact, view it as a as a
0: specialist role. I think so. Yeah. Uh, something I was going to say oh which reminds me um, I have uh, if you know anybody I'll ask right here so the three can over here in case they know anybody I'm happy to have someone external but uh, my team owns everything from the moment code is checked in until it gets deployed to our production servers um, we deploy to 12 servers now we're in data centers around the world
1: you by, are by, by the, the way. code factory head,
0: the cranking things out, and in the between there, in between there, of course, between the code checked in and going to production, there's a lot of quality stuff that happens. So, uh, the four of us own all that, and uh, it's not enough because we're with scaling. We need help with mainly on the DevOps side, uh, Azure management, scripting, build, you know, get, getting builds together. So, we're if you know anybody, I know a lot of people on DevOps side. Okay, if you know anybody who's, like, you know, independent worker, uh, can just sol- look at ambiguous instructions and figure out what to do and, and get crap done, um, send them my way.
1: The, the challenge is, is who's looking.
0: Yeah, yeah. Same, same for the three. If, yep. if you know anybody, send them my way. You know, get a hold of me. We're underwater. I, I tell my team we're, like, a car crash away from being, like, setting our uh, schedule back, like, two months. <laughs> We're a little bottle, a little bottleneck. I don't like, I don't like on a team when one person has all the knowledge. It's a, it's a bad situation. So,
1: yeah, that's um, it's a scary situation. It's one of the things that is interesting. So, as you know, I've been I've been running agile teams for a long time. All of my reports have been I've been sort of training and guiding them for a better part of the last three years. And now when it comes to, to knowledge sharing, they they are, ir- like, in my office, want to talk about it at a 101, irritated when knowledge sharing isn't occurring.
0: I don't know if we really answered that, but we talked about it.
1: Yeah, so far, two questions down, and bo- both answers are, uh, we don't know.
0: You know, you think for a nice, even-numbered episode, like, 40, we'd be awesome and not, like, uh, wishy-washy lame?
1: Right. And and the positive thing is, look, we're already halfway done.
0: Great. Great. Well, actually, it won't look that way after I edit. Oh, I see. I see. So even the word – so let me just say this right now. I, as you're listening to the AB podcast, I want to consider what you've paid for it, and you get what you pay for. Actually, you don't even get that much because you've paid with your time already. Yeah, that – and and hopefully there is a reason we have three listeners. Hopefully, hopefully editing has made your lives a little bit better than it would have been if you were actually in the room with us.
1: Oh. And what? Completely random, like more random than random.
0: What as, is, what is more random than random? Super, now as a mathematician, super do you random. How stupid that's. Yeah. <laughs> this is more random. Um so
1: we do tangents. <laughs> this then would be a random tangent. Which is not redundant. So um, this
0: is like inception. Of so I,
1: I, I, tangent inception. I was quickly reminded that we have three listeners, which connected the dots to the fact that today is June third. <gasps> which, which means what? Today is National Donut Day.
0: Holy rollin' O's. That's right, B man.
1: I, I have to remember
0: this. One, Before
1: I leave, because you have my favorite donut shop right in this building.
0: One thing about donuts is we have a Frost donut shop uh, right on our first floor.
1: Yes, I'll be spending 50, <laughs> 50 freaking dollars for two dozen.
0: Yeah, they're, But they're, they're worth it, in my mind. I should buy some for our team. I'll go down with you. All right. Wams. Okay. Next question. Shall we continue? <laughs> and who's this one from? Really? <laughs> Danny. <laughs> Brent writes like this cryptic shorthand on the whiteboard
1: Yeah it's it's Danny's Initials oh. Tough algorithm
0: there I, I only know people by their Internet handle so software Alchemist Danny Fott, Asks about What's the best way to communicate about to, to Brent Do you write English is English your first language
1: What's the best way to communicate about testing the emergent properties of a system?
0: Oh, you just left out a few letters. Yes. Got it. Oh, so this is about uh, non-functional testing.
1: Yeah, what he calls para-functional. What Ken Keener
0: calls para-functional testing, which I I think it – he asked why it didn't catch on. I think it didn't catch on because it's a weird freaking name. Absolutely. I think non-functional is also kind of a weird freaking name. Um, I just refer to them as the illities, uh, yeah. And that's I've rare, I use non-functional. If I'm in a group of people, where that's sort of the language they expect to hear. But usually, I just call them illities, and then I then I list a bunch that don't end in illity just to add more confusion. Stress, yeah. Perform the the illities,
1: you know, like stressility. Perf- that's how we fix it. Well, we just make up new words.
0: The illities, <laughs> like performance, illity. security, Illity. Security. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one to say.
1: If Kim can make up parafunctional, why not security?
0: <laughs> are, are, are you going to talk about this question? Will I, will I actually read what Danny wrote so I can figure out how to answer it? That's somebody. Okay. Um, the
1: best way to communicate. So, I have a problem when I when I see the word "best" because I don't ever believe there's such a thing. There's always a better way to do something. Um, I'll talk about a, a a story that I had just two days ago, where we have this one team uh, that's essentially our DevOps team, and. They're operating off of what I view is the dysfunctional equation that all of these teams do. Like The first time, if you have a team that is um, with a mission of something that's a broad scope, and in our case, it's division scope, and their job is to sort of cat herd, uh, amongst other things, their job is to cat herd the illities uh, across all of the division. And what is the way that everyone does this? V-teams. Yes and no. <laughs> but if, and if I were to torture you longer, I know you'd get to this. Um, the way everyone solves this is, yes, with a V-team, but a V-team that does what? Of course, Alan, you're correct. Produce a scorecard.
0: Boo. <laughs> right.
1: So, uh, the discussion at hand was was um, uh, integration scenarios. So, I'm in Azure. So, an example would be creating a VM, uh, deleting a VM, uh, launching an app service. Okay, and performance comes up, which is a illity performility. Yep. Um,
0: You've pronounced that correctly. Thank you.
1: And the typical way people do this is um, they put the scenario, and then they put P95, or in this case it was P95 or P99. Those who don't understand what that means, it's the 95th or 99th percentile of their performance. It essentially means 99% of all transactions uh were equal to or
0: below this value right okay and you do that because in general average is stupid
1: average is stupid (laughs) so but but i pushed back and said 99 is also stupid
0: i'm curious to hear why
1: um so the the way that i have found the best way to communicate in terms of performance is by showing the distribution. So generally, the distribution will be a head-tail curve on almost every performance situation. Agree. Now, so if you go with 99th, then you are including um, a large portion of the outliers. By looking at the distribution, you can now decide, okay, what's more important? Pulling down the outliers or improving the experience for the head. So um, if you find that that the the head of the distribution, again, a head-tail curve, if you find that 90% of that head-tail curve is in the head, then you're gonna be better suited ignoring the outliers and focusing on how do we make that 90% faster.
0: Okay, makes right?
1: sense. So this is one of those things where P99 forces you to collapse it all into one experience. And um, I'll introduce what I call the 80-80 rule. Um, it's not my rule, but I do share it. Um, 80-80 rule is... 80% of the value costs 80% of the effort, but the other 20% of the value costs an additional 80% of effort.
0: Yep, makes sense.
1: Um, and so if you are looking, in my view, you, you look at these things and you look at it as a system, you look at it in terms of business value or customer value, and then you break it down in Pareto order. Like you want to not just have a, a overly simple, stupid system that that um, potentially wastes money on outliers. Anyway, so, have you had enough time to think about?
0: Yeah, yeah, because you you're that's a, a very interesting. Not sure it answers this question. So I kind of I, I said a boo when you mentioned scorecards, but often uh, depending on how you put it, how, how you build it. Uh, scorecards can be the right solution because people like to watch things that are red turn green. Okay, uh, they, they can, and the thing to be careful of is driving the wrong behavior.
1: The, so this book got brought up in, in, in the thread, okay? So the best way to communicate uh, about these things, I think is the, is the same as the best way to communicate anything. So a scorecard. I do like scorecards. I don't like red, yellow, green scorecards that said good, bad, or on the on track, okay? <laughs> because the problem is those type of scorecards, you need to be able to look at something if, if you're trying to communicate. So let's view this, as you, you have this knowledge and you're communicating outwards. So the readers of this are your customers, okay? Uh, of your output. Your customers, must be able to clearly understand what actions need to be taken without questioning you. Okay,
0: And these red, yellow, green scorecards don't do that. So we had, uh, I agree, we had, um, I had an angry moment a month or so ago and I, I run our ship room and we had one of our, so I, the way I took care of making sure our illities, were handled across the team with no testers as I put one of my peer engineering managers in charge of every Illity I cared about. So the engineering manager in charge of one of the Illities for like the second week in a row showed this huge mass of red, yellow, green. And all he said was, everybody's working hard. We're making some progress. It's hard to tell from here, but everybody's working hard. And there's useless you may as well show me a picture of a unicorn taking a crap in the forest it would have been as useful
1: did you see the 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 unicorn rainbow no. snippet at the end of deadpool <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh, that cracks me up oh, so,
0: so anyway anyway the feedback to him was you know, what does the team need to know about where this area is what what are the action items what needs to be done what are the risks?" What are the goals? Whatever. Something around those areas versus a mass of red, yellow, green. So it was going back to your point. Mm -hmm. There was nothing on there actionable. There was nothing on there I could read and go, oh, this is good. This is bad. It was just too hard to figure out. What you want to do, if you have a scorecard, it should be painfully obvious uh, what it's telling you and what it means. Whether there's action to take, whether there's risk to worry about that needs to be mitigated. It's, or whether it's truly on track and nothing to worry about at all. But if those, those things are missing, the scorecard becomes useless.
1: There's, to, to piggyback on that, right, the the other problem with these scorecards is, is, you know, what's the goal? And oftentimes, like, say, with performance, oh, the goal is to bring P99 down to 200 milliseconds. Okay? No, that's... That's not a goal. That is a target? stake in the ground, a target. Yes, yeah, something along those lines, right? the The goal in my mind needs to be something that says, "This is the business benefit." Right. The when I try to communicate these type of things, generally what I try to do is i I look at it, I analyze it, and then I break chunks down into sort of Pareto order. Of benefit to customers, right? A lot of these things you can just do ad infinitum, right? The great, we have everything all green. This is what we agreed to. However, uh, customer still hates the product, right? So, great, we all agreed to. We we can all we can all pat ourselves on the back that we did the best we 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 could, I guess. But uh, and in my view, it's because you're targeting the wrong goal. You're targeting the goal of... Um, I actually had this conversation with an employee this week. It's, it's like, look, you learning to drive is an uninteresting goal. What's an interesting goal is we're doing a road trip to Vegas. And you're going to learn to drive in order for us to execute on that road trip yeah. to Vegas.
0: So you hit on uh, something, a nerve that really... Uh, Where I agree with you Uh, Really hard Because I think teams Can often focus on Doing really good engineering Like we're really We're going to put some targets And we're going to hit those You know And we're going to Make sure that we can do this Meantime Our test is going to run Our meantime to failure test Is going to run And we're going to make sure We get all this And they focus so much On just doing the engineering work They forget to make a product That customers like
1: Execution is really important but executing in a valuable direction is also really important, and I find that these these engineering teams that are so deeply focused on progressing on execution are often it, it's it's the age old trees versus forest discussion, right? Yeah. They're 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 inside the forest. They're like, ooh, n- neat tree. Let's do the one to the
0: left now. Yeah, and going back to my role, that's you know my. Part of my role on the team is to make sure that the guys working on performance aren't just, you know, I. It's not hard work. I go. So, what's the user benefit of getting to this goal? Uh, you know, and make sure there's answers for those questions.
1: So the answer I think so far that we've brainstormed through is number one: communicate um, in a way that makes actionability readily apparent. Mm-hmm. Communicate in a way that discusses the system in business terms.
0: Yeah, and I would, there's, uh, with any change, and a change can be an organizational change or a change can be you know, in, an improvement in engineering. Uh, one thing, like I have said a million times before, when you, if you're gonna move to Agile, if you're gonna make a big organizational change, explaining why, like we want to be able to ship daily. So, in order to do that, we're going to combine our engineering teams, work on agile methods, blah, blah, whatever you, whatever you want to explain that. Versus, people so we'll go, oh, we want to ship every day. This is the goal. And to do that, we have some a bunch of other stuff we're going to do. We're going to learn to drive. Uh, versus what happens to a lot of teams is like, hey, tomorrow you're all engineers. We'll figure out what that means later. It's like, the, the what? So, let's trench that over here. We need to get performance better. All right, let's work on performance. Our versus our customers are complaining about performance by June 30th. We want them to be bragging about the performance of our app over our competitors. Maybe not the best goal. I, 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 got
1: yes. right. yeah. So, but <laughs> I we, would love you, see, to see someone brag about, uh, get right. that to happen. But so you want, yeah,
0: we want to improve the user experience around performance. We want to make sure people feel that the product is snappy, uh, whatever. But, and in order because we think this will sell a million more units, so that so you know why you're working on performance, why that's a target
1: yeah uh Amazon did this uh, very uh at least to me now very famous uh experiment where they basically their landing page they put a a a, a configurable sleep in in the loading of the page, and they ran an a series of experiments, A/B testing, uh, A B C D E, to be discussed by Alan Page uh, in Vegas at a place near you, as long as it's in Vegas, um, where they artificially slowed down the render of their page, and they tracked the abandonment rate of the customers. So. Long story short, they were able to determine two things that are critical. Number one, how much a millisecond on their landing page is worth and where um, what's done in economics terms, marginal utility, where that utility um, sort of dies off, where it's no longer useful to eke out that extra millisecond. Right, because uh if they had a ten second rendering page, going from ten seconds to five seconds is gonna keep way more customers. But if you're already at uh four hundred milliseconds, going to cutting that in half to two hundred milliseconds saves you not as many customers. Right. Right. Um it is not a linear curve by any means. Okay.
0: You went off on a tangent there, but did we finish the topic or?
1: No, so I'll I'll wind back to the performance thing. Oh, like, good. Like, and and then this will be my my coup de gras on this topic. The on the P ninety five and the P ninety nine, like if you understand how sort of stats work, and and again, if you guys remember what I just said around the distribution and it being a head tail curve. Basically, I communicated to them because um, I have found that a lot of business leaders uh, don't understand or appreciate data science lingo, right? And I basically have uh, shared with them, I'm like, look, you have, if, you, if, you're, if you want to have, let's say P95 as your one metric that matters for performance, then um, if you want one metric that matters is what I said. Is you need to be clear then on what you're focusing on. Are you trying to reduce the variance of customer experience? Meaning, meaning what's the likelihood of outliers happening? Or are you trying to improve uh, customer satisfaction rates? Because these are opposite things. And right now, your metric is going to focus you on removing outliers from the system which I'm sure we're you know, it's just code it's not magic we'll get there but at the end of the day if you're expecting higher customer satisfaction rates I don't believe you'll get there now if you're expecting say a reduction what's known as customer calls on CSS yeah you'll probably get a reduction in customer calls because the, the customers who we really you know the the two or three that we really tanked they're going to be upset, but, um, that's not going to have a big impact on customer satisfaction rates overall. So you guys have to decide. And in that case, I, I told them there's two metrics that I think are better. One's known as the coefficient of variation, uh, that's much better at, uh, focusing on reducing the variance of the experience. How do how do we reduce some people having super fast and some people, you know, take 10 days for a thing to render? And then median, I find, is a much better stat um, than P95.
0: All right. Cool. Okay. Hopefully that rambled around and uh, some sort of answer to the question. Yes. Or generated more mailbag items. Yes. Hey, uh, one more. Um, <clears throat> hey, Alan. Here's a topic for your A-B testing show. Our product has been rolling out more and more users over the last few months. Our CEO has decided that he does not want to roll out to more users because we're hearing the exact same feedback or very similar feedback from everyone we've rolled out to so far. My thoughts are that this is good because we're not finding more issues, but I'm fighting against management to try and push out our product to more users even before we fix these issues that are known. What would you do? So the feedback... So it, it sounds like, the paraphrase, is the product is, there's like a core set of issues, like we know that A, B, and C are, are need to be fixed, and we go to more people, and they tell us the same thing, A, B, C need to be fixed. Should we go to even more people to hear those same things, or should we go to more people... Or should we fix those things first before we go to more people so we can get more data? Would you think you get more data by going to wider customers? You think you find out about D, E, and F, or are you blocked on finding out about D, E, and F until you get so there's, more people on? Board?
1: There's a balance here, right? So one is, hey, we know about this feedback. I presume uh, work is in flight, right? So the these the errors. Um, how, sh- how shall we hypothesize on on the the, the president's feedback uh, with respect to the customers? Like the, do we think the customer feedback is um, critical to the business, or do we think it's hey it, it's a couple of one off bugs like hey this button's in the wrong place?
0: I think more fundamental It sounds like it's more fundamental things, not necessarily button in the wrong place, but like if, uh, a feature that would make the product more usable is missing. But it, but there are. It's not. Uh, uh, doesn't sound like it's a showstopper.
1: So okay, I, I just thought of it another way. Um, so the question
0: really is: I've the I par- feedback
1: what we have today. So this is this I think is 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 probably the best current answer in my head. The feedback from the customers that exists today, to what degree do we believe it is causing abandonment? If we think it is not causing abandonment and it's really more around taking something that's good and making it delightful, then yeah, I would, I would turn the crank another order of magnitude but only another order of magnitude.
0: Yeah, so that's actually a good way to put that. So how would you – what are some good ways to measure – I guess you could just look at usage. I'm trying to think how to measure abandonment, but it's how you can look at uh, active users and figure that out. Uh,
1: on a On a web app, one of the better ways of measuring um, active users in this case or abandonment is is essentially – the, the the frequency and the – they call it frequency and recency. So how often do they engage with the product and how often do they re-engage with the product? So you want to look at um, – you would want to start tracking new users to the product and then look at what are the typical rates? How, how frequently do they – come back to the product and then how many re-engagement sessions generally do we see before that starts to slow down
0: yeah how do you correlate those a b and c you know features that are missing with abandonment you can measure abandonment and you can look at customer feedback to see what they think is missing but how do you correlate the two The, the
1: easiest way is to put a feedback app on on the product so you uh, the, here at Microsoft, uh, the most famous one, as we call, send a smile. Send a
0: smile, and right. it sounds like they have something like that because they're getting they're getting customer feedback,
1: right? But now, so now, if you track, um, uh, what's known as uh, active, engaged, and then disengaging customers, that's really what I describe there. Mm-hmm. So, um, looking at new users. Then, and you light up the send a smile, then you can, um, most people when they instrument, right, you, you're able to see the, the sessions of the persons who have contributed feedback. And then you can, you can say, okay, is there anything interesting in the session? And, and in particular, if you can look at the specific paths under question. Okay. Right, and say, hey, you know what? the The specific paths under question. um, These guys aren't aren't abandoning, with respect to, or in comparison to, say, this other category of folks, or not even abandoning it at all, right? um, What you're trying to draw a connection to. Is does this group that requires this, what's the size of that group and how does it differ from the ambient abandonment rate of your product? That you're already an expert on, because that is just A B test pure A B testing right there. Very
0: cool. Very cool. <laughs> All right. We are out of time for episode forty. Yes, mailbag only. Uh, our second all mailbag episode Yes we did, we did one before a while back Right uh, Percy will know the number Because he memorizes them, I think
1: Yeah, actually Have you have you seen um, I really like what Percy did on, on episode 39
0: Oh my god, yeah <laughs> He did the live play-by-play At, I had to go listen to get it At 4302, I agree with you At 4323,
1: I don't <laughs> Yeah, I'm like
0: What are you talking about?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, he's right uh, okay. <laughs> All right, all right. Later. Hasta la vista. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. Bye. Bye.